growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. If you're here and you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you literally are my blood kin. Because all of us share the same blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you attend a church? If so, how do you feel about the people you go to church with? Would you call most of them casual acquaintances, good friends, or even family? We might even say that we love the people at church, but what do we really mean when we say that? We are part of the same body, and there should be an affection there, a connection there that is not like anything else. I'm Rick Freeman. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're continuing our series entitled Heartbeat from the New Testament book of Philippians. If you've been with us throughout this study, we pray that it's been profitable in helping you discover how to make Christ your heartbeat. In today's Crosswalk message, Pastor Clay is taking us back for the fourth week to Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 30. We've been looking at aspects of our life that should be evident when Christ is our heartbeat. So far, we've seen the Apostle Paul show us how action is an essential part of our walk with Christ, how our attitude has to be one that honors Christ, and that God wants to use our lives to attract others to Him. Because God changes what our actions become, because God changes our attitude, God then uses us to be an attraction to draw people into a relationship with Him. The final aspect we'll be looking at today is affection. As Pastor Clay will explain, the relationship we have with the men and women who are a part of our church is a very unique one. It's one that shouldn't be taken for granted and shouldn't be wasted. Now, this week's message in the Heartbeat series. We have looked at some aspects of the life of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. We're we're trying to define what is heartbeat from the book of Philippians. What does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it take for Christ to actually be the heartbeat of my life? And we have been, this will now be the fourth week that we have been just in Philippians 2 verses 12 through 30. And we have already looked at three uh, aspects of the life of a fully devoted follower of Jesus just from that particular passage of Scripture. And you probably remember them, but they, they were, are, action, attitude, and attraction. Those are the three um, aspects of our life that we have already uh, looked at today. Connected to this passage of Scripture has been uh, the BP squared, what I call the BP squared, the big picture biblical principle. I think I actually forgot to give it to you uh, last week, but it's been the same for all four weeks. The big picture biblical principle from that passage of Scripture is this. When Christ is our heartbeat, salvation just works. It just works, and, and we talked about in the first week about how because it, it stirs us to action. It stirs us to be involved in, in the work of the kingdom that God has called us to. It, it, it it stirs us into being a, a person of action. And then the next week we looked at attitude and Paul talks about doing all things without grumbling or disputing. Y'all remember that verse, that verse we read? Just, okay, just wonder. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And, and so we looked at the attitude and what our attitude of the heart should be. And then uh, last week we looked at a, a, the attraction, that how because God changes our, our focus of our action, what our actions become, because God changes our attitude and what our attitude should be, God then uses us to be an attraction to draw people into a relationship with him. 
Today, we look at the final aspect, and we're going to read it first. Read the passage again now for the fourth time. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 30. If you have a copy of God's Word, whether it's electronic, whether it's a hard copy, uh, whether, whatever it is, uh, plus we'll have it up on the screen, please. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 30. Thank you so much for being here today to the glory of God, for the building of His kingdom, and hopefully for the edification of our own personal lives. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. This sidebar, just if you're joining us for the first time, Paul's been in prison at this point for about four years probably. He, he wasn't with them. He wasn't in the church in Philippi at this point. He's in, he's in prison in Rome. Not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Paul's saying, I invested in your lives and, and someday at the return of Christ, at the judgment seat of Christ, we'll see all that. It'll be paid off and, 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 and I'll know that, that God used me in your lives. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you, Rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus." Apparently referring to some people who had been following Paul, been part of Paul's uh, uh, team Many of them had abandoned him, had left, had given up because he's in prison. What's the use? Doesn't look like it's going to happen with Paul. Whatever the reasons were, they had left, but not Timothy. Timothy's still there. But you know of his, meaning Timothy's, proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. And therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to me. They had sent, Philippi had sent Epaphroditus to Paul with a love offering to stay with him, to meet his needs, that sort of thing. Paul's sending him back now. Here's why, verse 26. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him also, but also on him also, but on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrows. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death. For the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient 
in your service to me. Action, attitude, attraction, and now the fourth uh, aspect from this passage of Scripture, affection. And it looks like this. We have affection through our connection. Are y'all with me today? Y'all listening? Y'all glad I'm up here? Okay, we'll see if you feel that way when we get to the end. We have affection through our connection. We come to verse 17. He starts saying, if if I'm pouring out my life, that's no problem. And then he launches on into this thing. And from this point on to the rest of of chapter 2, the rest of this part of Paul's letter from verse 17 on to verse 30 becomes very, very personal. He kind of moves away from instruction. He kind of moves away from from doctrine or instruction and things he's been teaching them. And he really just kind of goes off on a sidebar and he gets very, very personal. Now, Paul's got plenty of instruction still to give to the church in Philippi and to us in chapters 3 and 4. But before he gets there, he kind of takes this personal sidebar and goes into talking about their relationship and, and their needs and his needs and their, you know, all this, this connection that uh, they have. He's got plenty to say and teach them, but right now he takes a little personal sidebar. But just because what Paul is saying in the latter part of chapter 2 is not specifically instructional, it doesn't mean that what he has to say is not profitable for us to learn. In other words, it's it's not saying that there aren't lessons that we can learn from what Paul has to say. Here's what we know. We know that according to Acts chapter 16, Paul founded the church in Philippi. We also know that he suffered greatly was persecuted greatly as a result of his willingness to do that, to establish the church in Philippi. We know that the church began with Lydia, a businesswoman, a Roman soldier, prison guard, and his family, and possibly a a young lady from which Paul had cast out a demon. We also know this. We know that the church in Philippi maybe almost since its inception, had been involved in Paul's ministry. They had been investing in Paul. They had been ministering to Paul. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 5 and 7, we find this. In view of your participation in the gospel, Paul says to to the church in Philippi, you've been participating in this. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. Because, watch this, I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. It's, 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 it's a nice way of saying, you guys have been there for me. You've been a part of this team. You've been actively engaged in this, in this kingdom work. And even when I was in prison and everybody else was giving up on me, you guys have continued to minister to me and you've been there to me and I have you on my, in my heart. And, then, and Paul makes then this statement in verse eight. For God is my witness. Now folks, I, I'll tell you right now, There's no way Paul calls God as a witness for him if he doesn't genuinely mean this statement. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
for Paul, this is not, this is not an emotional feel good. This is just, this is not a feeling kind of thing. Not that those things are wrong, and I'm sure they're a part of that, but it goes much deeper than this. This is an affection based on Christ Jesus. This is an affection based on the connection that Paul has with the church in Philippi. And that is the type of connection that you and I have as followers of Jesus Christ. There is a connection that we have that is far beyond what the, the most of the world understands. In Paul's day, in the day that Paul wrote this letter, when, when some people, oftentimes when many people, came into a relationship with Jesus Christ during that day, roughly 2,000 years ago, when people came into a relationship with Jesus Christ particularly among the Jewish people who came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it usually meant a complete ostracizing by their family. They were cast out of their family. They literally were considered dead, as I understand it. They were cast out of their family. They had nothing to do with them. They, they had no place to go. They were thrown out of their homes. They had, they had no uh, uh, resources. They had no uh, 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 promise of any uh, inheritance or anything. They had nothing. And they had no one. All they had was each other. That's it. The fellow followers of Jesus, that's all they had was the opportunity to draw near to each other. Now listen, I know that that, that's kind of a hard scenario for you and I to get our minds around today. And the reason is because we are so sheltered living here in the United States of America. We are so sheltered in our lives that it's hard for us to comprehend that that very thing still goes on every day in places all over this world. There are places in this world today where if a person commits their life to Jesus Christ, which almost certainly means they're going to come out of some other religion, Whatever the cultural religion is or the family religion is, there are places in the world today where a person commits their life to Jesus Christ, they are put to death, they are murdered by members of their own family for committing their life to Jesus Christ. That happens today, folks. I'm not talking about just 2,000 years ago. That happens today. And you and I have a hard time understanding that, that this connection that we have is something very, very special. You and I... If you're here and you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I, and I don't take that for granted, I don't know if that's everybody in here or not. If you're here and you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you literally are my blood kin. You hate that, don't you? You don't really want to be related to me. You are my blood kin because all of us share the same blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, shed for all of us. Whether I'm black or brown or white or somewhere in between or any combination thereof, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are part of the same body. And there should be an affection there, a connection there that is not like anything else. But in our culture, in America, that's difficult sometimes. Here's what we know about that connection. It is costly. It's costly. This is what we know about this affection that's through connection. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ shed his blood, died on the cross, so that any person could be adopted into the family of God and become a part of that family. That is an incredibly high price to pay. But he willingly did it 
so that we could be become a part of God's family and therefore a part of each other's family so that we could become brothers and sisters in Christ so that we could have a connection that was un- really unlike any other connection. And quite honestly, we don't have a right to take for granted the relationship that we have with God and therefore the relationship we have with each other. We don't have a right to take that for granted, but we do. At least the relationship that we have with each other, we take it for granted here in America. The truth is, oftentimes, because we have, you know, a biological family that's around us and they don't disown us when we come to Christ, because we have friends and and co-workers and, and, and that sort of thing, oftentimes people that we attend church with are just that, people we attend church with. But I have to tell you that God intended so much more for the relationship that we are supposed to have as part of the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ. It was costly. And one of the ways that we can determine how much we truly appreciate what Christ has done for us and the price he paid is reflected in how we interact, how we relate to each other as part of the body of Christ. It, it, it just kind of shows up there. It's costly. Here's another idea. It's caring. Listen, you don't, you don't even have, I mean, like I said, Paul gets very personal in this text here and you don't have to read very far to recognize and say, wow, this guy loves these people and they love him. When Paul talks about Epaphroditus' illness and his near-death experience, he says, man, it would have been sorrow upon sorrows for me if he had died. I would have felt that pain. I would have missed that brother in Christ. When he talks of Timothy, he refers to him like a, like a father-son relationship. He, he's, he, he's co-labored with me like a father and son relationship. He loves these people. He loves the church in Philippi. And he cares about them. So much so that he has invested his entire life in them and, and other churches that came under his wing in the providence of God. It's, it's caring. Listen, I, I, you know, obviously my... Uh, my life situations are the ones that I'm most familiar with. And, and when I was thinking about this, and I, I, it was just so many times I could think of ways uh, that people have blessed me within the body of Christ. And so many t- times in my life, and I, I, some of these I've probably shared before, but I was thinking about uh, our call to ministry. And when I went into ministry and uh, answered the call, and we, were, we were at uh, First Baptist Church in Waverly, Tennessee, and, and, and God called, her, called us out to be involved in full-time vocational ministry. And Cindy and I were you know, praying and trying to figure out how we're going to afford to go to school, I go back, got to get my college degree, and then I got to go and get my master's and doctorate, all that kind of stuff, uh, or, or felt like I wanted to. And so, um, you know, how are we, we going to pay for all that stuff? It was Christmas time, and we got a Christmas card from a couple in the church, Dick and Marge Rudge, an older couple, and got home, and there was a check in there for $1,000. And they didn't have to do that. We were leaving that church. We, we, were, we were going off to school. They, they, they just, they cared. When I was, uh, when we were living in Atlanta and I was called on staff at uh, Emanuel Baptist Church in Riverdale, Georgia to serve as, uh, they let me go to school full time and, and then paid me uh, uh, full time to, to be their minister of education and students uh, down there. And um, Hinton Harris, the pastor, knew that man, my, my, my passion has been, since God has called, my passion has been to preach the word of God, to communicate the word of God to people in a way that they would get it and, and desire this for their lives. And Hinton knew that was a, a desire in my life, but I had, quite honestly, very little experience. 
I've been afraid to ever go back and try and find any recordings of, of early messages. But Hinton, the first week I was there on staff, Hinton said, Clay, just consider Sunday nights yours. And he let me preach every single Sunday night. He, he didn't have to do that. Quite honestly, with me, I don't know that I would have done it. I love to preach. He let me have every Sunday night. And y'all should be thanking Hinton Harris for that. Because whatever I got, it's a lot better than what I had back then. Let me just tell you that. He didn't have to do that. He cared. When we were in seminary, uh, got called to a serve as an interim in Green Sea, South Carolina. How many of y'all know where that is? Yeah, wide spot in the road. Uh, that's about it. Uh, Green Sea, South Carolina, got called to be the interim. And uh, I said, all right, I accepted it. Yeah, I'll, I'll come down and drive down on the weekends and, and I'll be your interim pastor. But I've already committed to a trip overseas with the seminary. We're going on a mission trip. And, uh, and so the very first two weeks that I'm going to start as your interim, I'm going to be gone to, to Kenya for two weeks. They said, that's fine. We don't care. We, we want you to be our interim. So uh, the, that's fine. The next weekend we went down there, which was the last weekend before I was going to be leaving for Kenya. And, and they handed me a check for $700. And they said, besides my paycheck, they handed me a check for $700. And they said, we don't want Cindy or your boys to go without anything while, while you're gone. They didn't have to do that. They just did it. They, they, just, they just cared. And I could sit here, oh, we sure don't have time, but I could sit here and, and talk about so many ways that so many of you have ministered to us through the years in, in so many different ways. And, I, and, I'm, and I would be, I'm hesitant to even say anything because it give the impression that I'm not appreciative of every single thing that every single person, every one of y'all do all the time and the way you do as a church and the way you bless us and, and show your affection and, and, and love for us. But I, when I was doing this, I was thinking, I, I, I was thinking of, of Stacey Knopf. She Virtually every Monday night for about the last year, she brings us dinner every Monday night. We said, you don't, you don't have to do that. She says, God has laid it on my heart. I want to do this. It's just, it's just, it's just caring. I was thinking, Rocky Chawinski, he's been to my house and fixed more stuff than, than I can even possibly uh, imagine. And he just comes. He just comes. He says, I'm happy to do it. I, I want to do it. And on and on. We go so many times. All of you, the ways that you've ministered to so many people, that's what this is about. It's about caring. Earlier this year when I, when, I, when I sent out an email and I said there's a family and financial need in this church, and, and that's really, that's all I said. And nobody, the way you responded was unbelievable. And nobody demanded to know who it was, and nobody demanded an accounting for every single uh, uh, dime that was given. or anything. You, you, just, you just did it. You just cared. And, and we could talk... We could talk about the Brown family and, and how you're, you're meeting needs. And we could talk about the Gilliam family and, and how you're meeting needs. And, and we could talk about the Martin family and how you're meeting needs. But it would probably be a whole lot better if it came from them. So I'm going to ask Michael and Deborah to come up here and share their cross-culture story with you this morning. Um, some of you know and some of you um, who are new here probably don't know. But this is our new son, Sean. <laughs> And he's eight weeks old. And um, when I was 24 weeks pregnant, um, I had an episode of bleeding and went into the hospital. And we were there for five days. And I was given medicine in case he came early. And, um, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know why the bleeding was happening. And the doctors didn't know. And they didn't know if it was going to stop. And so we were living kind of day to day, just hour to hour trying to figure out, you know, what we were going to do. We have a two-year-old son as well, and it was overwhelming, and we were scared, and we were trusting God, but it was really difficult, and the last day we were in the hospital, they were sending us home, and I didn't really want to go home because I felt safe at the hospital. I felt, you know, there's people here if something happens, 
that can take care of us. Um, but we had to go home because the bleeding had stopped. Thankfully, we had asked for prayers, and God had answered those prayers. And um, that day, Jennifer Mason sent us an email and said, we know you guys are going through a lot, and we want to have dinner for you tonight when you get home. I hadn't even thought about what we were going to do for dinner. And um, every day after that, Cross Culture prepared meals for us and sent people to our house to make sure that we had food so that we could just trust God because it took everything. We had to just hold on and trust God, not knowing what was going to happen. And um, people came to our house and cleaned for us and took care of our son, all without us asking for any help. And sorry. And it was, you know, now we're on the other side of that. And, but in the middle of that, it meant everything. And we missed coming to church and being with, with our church family. But you guys were willing to drive 45 minutes to where we live just to be with us and just to care about us and to show us that we weren't alone. And it just meant more than we can ever say thank you for. I just can't tell you how I believe it blesses God. God is blessed. You know that? It's possible to bless God. And by that, I mean, please him and him enjoy us and how we respond as his child. I, I can't tell you how I believe it blesses God when we, as the body, minister to the body. When we meet the needs, when we pray, when we go, when we give, when we do all of those types of things. That's this, that's this connection that we have that should create an affection. It's caring. Y'all, 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 are y'all glad you're here today? Yeah. Yeah, let's get to the next one. It's commitment. It's commitment. I have no doubt in my mind that Paul needs Timothy and Epaphroditus with him. In Rome. He is in prison. God's inspiring him to write letters. They need to be, they have to be written. They have to be delivered. He has physical needs. He's not in great health. And Timothy was there. And others had been there at time, but as I said, some had come and gone. But Timothy was there. Epaphroditus had brought the offering from Philippi, and he had been there, and then he'd gotten sick. Paul, Paul still needs him there. I can guarantee you Paul still needs them there. But watch this. This is where Paul has an opportunity to practice what he's been preaching. Remember earlier in chapter 2, he says, think of others before you think of yourselves. Think of others as, as more important than yourself. Paul's love for the church in Philippi compels him to think of the church before he thinks of himself. To think of the church before he thinks of himself. To think of the church before he thinks of himself. He makes a commitment, a sacrificial commitment. And that's what this thing is. That's part of this connection that we have that creates an affection. It creates commitment in our lives, or it certainly should be a commitment in our lives. I want, to, I want to go through real quickly a few verses of Scripture. Maybe some of them you read, maybe some of them have you not, have not. Let's start in the book of John. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. In other words, in the same way that I have loved you, Jesus says, that you also love one another. John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. John 15, 17. This I command you that you love one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Paul gets in on this. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to, would you read it, say it with me? Love one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. 1 Peter uh, 4, 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. He's not saying that if you love people that, that, that you know, that, that, that covers your, you're forgiven. That, that, that's, it's not a works thing, you understand? What he's saying is, if I, if, I love, if I love Floyd, I won't gossip about him, which is a sin, by the way. If I, if I love, it, 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 you understand? All right. First Peter 5, 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, I know, and now the Pru team experienced some of this, didn't y'all? In that culture down there, did, did they greet each other a lot of times with a kiss? Did y'all? Y'all have some of that? Other cultures, they still practice that, that greeting each other with a, with a kiss. Okay, well, maybe that's not an American culture thing. We don't, you know, come up to everybody and kiss them on the cheek or kiss them on the mouth or whatever. Okay, we don't, we don't do that stuff, but, but we, we can still demonstrate affection, right? This is stuff we can do. Where, where, here's my wife. I'll use my wife. Send it, baby. We got, we got this one. We got this one, what's known as the, the holy hug. Y'all know this one? No, you got to turn it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the holy hug. We got that one, right? Got that one. How about, how about the man hug? You got the man hug? John, stand up. You know the, you know the man hug? The man hug, right? Right? Yeah, right? So, man, we got, we got some way to demonstrate some type of affection for each other. Don't, can't we do something? Don't we have something? Don't we, is there some way that we can say, listen, I care, but I love you. Okay, what else we got? 1 John 3, 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3, 23. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commands us. I bet you thought I'd never quit, didn't you? But believe me when I tell you, this is not an exhaustive list. There are so many verses that speak of the love that you and I should have for each other. And, and, and it's, not a, it's not a, you know, hey, how you doing? Good morning, how you doing today kind of love. It's an open my life up to you and you open your life up to me kind of love. I got to hurry. I'm just totally running out of time here. It's that kind of love. It's commitment. Now, how do we do that? Well, start with this. Uh, Let's look at the types of love. Eros, physical, sensual, sexual, emotional love. I've gone over this sometimes with some of you before. It's important I bring it up here because I want you to understand this. Eros, physical, sensual, sexual, emotional love. That's that's what it means. The, the Greeks, the language the New Testament was originally written in, they had different words for love. We just have one word, basically. They had different words that described different nuances or, or, or commitments or types of love. Philos, brotherly, fen- friendship, fondness, love. Uh, storge, uh, family love, uh, depend, those who are dependent on you kind of, of love. And then, of course, agapeo or agape, sacrificial. And this is what this way I, uh, I mean, there's, the best way to put it is, I put it, is other person first love. 
It's other person first love. Agape love. Now, the reason I bring those up, the reason I point those out is because with only one exception, every single one of those verses that I just read to you, guess which word for love was used? In every single one of those verses, except with one exception, agape, uh, others before yourself, love. Every one of them. The only exception was Romans twelve ten, where Paul uses the word philos, brotherly love. But even there, the remainder of the verse makes it clear that you are to put your brother ahead of yourself. And I bring all that up because some of us are probably th- sitting here thinking, well, I, I, I do love the people of cross culture. But honestly, what we oftentimes mean is I, I have a fondness for them. I, I have an affection for them. I, I have a brotherly kind of friendship relationship with them. And that's good. That's not bad. That's just not enough. It has to be uh, others first love. So maybe we, should, maybe we should think about that again. Maybe we should ask that question. Do I love Do I, others first, the body of Christ, my local body that I'm involved in? How does that look? I'm going fast. We have to be involved. We have to be involved. Listen, can I I, I say this? Uh, Go ahead. I'll say it anyway. Um, I I love when you come here for the preaching of the Word of God. I've, I've said before. That it's a lot more fun to preach to people than to empty seats. And I want to see every one of these seats filled up. But I'm telling you, God's plans and expectations on your life are so much greater than you coming here and sitting down for Sunday morning preaching. Look out now, you're going to make somebody mad, run them off. I know, I know there's that chance. But I'll take that chance because I love you enough to give you the truth and not just what you want to hear. And because I believe that most of you here actually want to do what God wants you to do. You just got to figure out how to, how to get it done. All right, how, what does that mean, to be involved? It means this, first, by serving. By serving. The, the, the body serving the body, being involved in ministry. Now, I know some people that are new and, and they're still trying to figure out whether this is a place that they can be involved in or not. By the way, it is. There is so much potential here. There's so much uh, that God can do through cross-culture church. And, and, and we just need people that, that are interested in, in what they can put into the church more than what they get out of the church. I'm not saying you don't get stuff out of the church. I'm not saying that you shouldn't want to be. But I'm just saying it's about by, by, by serving. Now, I, I, I know, I know, I know. But you, you, don't, you don't understand you don't understand my schedule. You don't, you don't know what I've got to do. You don't know I have to do this. You don't know my physical condition. You don't, you don't know this. You don't know that. Okay. Okay. As long as I'm making you mad, I triple dog dare you to come to me and tell me your reason why you can't serve here at Cross Culture Church. And, if I, and see if I can't find a place, even with your schedule, even with your physical condition, even with, you know, whatever else on your life. See if I can't find a place or a way for you to serve at Cross Culture Church. Unless your reason is, I just don't want to serve. In which case, you get an A for honesty, but you're flunking in the area of obedience to God and love for the body. By serving. Second, by sharing. Oh, you mean my money. Wait for it. We'll get to the money. We're going to have to stay late, but we're going to get to the money. By sharing. What I mean is by sharing your life, 
Do you get get the impression when you read this that Paul and Epaphroditus and Timothy and the church and Philip, that these people had, had hung together, they'd spent time together, they'd lived their lives together? Of course they had. You need to share your life with me and I need to share my life with you. And quite honestly, that really doesn't happen to a large degree in the Sunday morning larger gathering. That's why we have these things called life groups. A small group of people that you can come alongside and you can do life with and you can share your life and they can share their life and you can meet needs and they can meet needs and, and you can cry and you can laugh and you can, and you can get on each other's nerves at times and all that kind of stuff, but you can, you can do life. You got to share your life with us because you're part of my family and I'm part of your family by sharing. And then a third, by selling. Oh, now the money. Wait for it. We'll get to the money. We're so anxious. No, by selling cross-culture church. What I mean is, do you guys like your church? Do you enjoy coming and and serving and and, and worshiping God and and sitting under the word of God and and, and, and meeting people and having a relationship? Do, do Do you enjoy that kind of thing? Then tell people. Sell your church. Get excited about what God is doing. Get excited about, about, about what you get to do here or how you're seeing God's work or, or what you see cross-culture involved in. Get excited about that kind of stuff because I know of nothing that, that, that helps, whether it's a business, a restaurant, you know, business, whatever it is, a church or whatever, I know of very few things that will help it grow faster than just excitement. It's contagious. Man, we ought to be talking about cross-culture church everywhere we go. We ought to be giving out our iBike cards and saying, listen, I don't know if you have a church home, but come try this out. Just to sell it, talk it up and say, man, God, God wants to work, he wants to move. I hope you'll come be a part of it. If you don't have a church home, we're not, we're not in the stealing people from other churches business, okay? Let other churches do that. That's not our deal. But if they don't have a church home, or if they're not being taught the word of God and something like that, and, and, okay, all right. We have to be involved, serving, sharing, selling. Uh, and then second part of this, we have to be invested. Now, it goes without saying, if you are involved, you will be invested. And if you are invested, you will be involved. But here's how that specifically looks. When I say we have to be invested, here's how it looks. Your time. You got, you got to give your time. I, I, listen, every one of us, can, every one of us are only going to spend so much time on top of the ground. Right? Now, none of us know how much time that will be for any one of us. But what we do know is that it is finite, it is limited, and that makes it valuable. And there is value in spending time uh, at rest. And there is value at spending time at recreation. And there is value at spending time uh, with, with career or, and, and obviously with family. There is value in all of this, but there is no greater value, there is no greater investment of your time than to put it into the body of Christ and the building of the kingdom of God. There is no better investment of your time than that. Because that's eternal investment of your time. Your talents. Your time, your talents. One of the things I have discovered about people is people tend to underestimate their skills, their abilities, uh, their talents. People tend to underestimate or downplay or not even think about ways that God might could use them. Life experiences that they have, skills that they've learned natural talents that they have, spiritual gifts that they have. People tend to downplay or, or for whatever reason, oftentimes don't think about ways that God could use that. Listen, we would love to help every one of you. And you understand, I know many of you are already involved in all that, but we would love to help every one of you 
realize how God can use your talents, your abilities, your skills, your experiences, your whatever, to grow the kingdom of God and for the health of the body of Christ. This connection that we have because of the love that we have. Your time, your talents, bam! Your tithe. Y'all thought I was going to say treasure, didn't you? Your time, talents, treasure. Y'all heard that before? Listen, can I tell you something? If money is your treasure, you got bigger problems than having to listen to me today. I know we need money. I know money has value to it on this earth, but that, that is not our treasure, folks. Your time, your talents, your tithe. Did I triple dog dare y'all a while ago? Well, let me do it again. I triple dog dare anybody to show me from the word of God where God's expectation does not include that we are to take a minimum of 10% of our income and give it back to him through the local church. Hey, 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 hey. And by the way, I believed that long before I was a pastor. So don't think this is about paying my salary. I mean, it's kind of about paying my salary, but, but I believed it way before then. Do you understand? You understand what I'm saying? I, I, I show me in the word of God how you don't do that because, because it's, it's there, folks. It's just there. It's just very clear, in my opinion. The word tithe, most of you know, means ten or, or tenth. And both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that seems to be the clear model that God gives out. And I know what some people are thinking. Well, if, I, if God would give me more, I would tithe. Now, the reason I know that some people are thinking that is that that's how I used to think. That's exactly how I thought. Oh, I gave to the church regularly, $10, $15, maybe some weeks $20. But it was always based on what I thought I could afford to give the church. And folks, I was wrong. What I think I can afford should never be the basis on which I give back to God part of the resources that he has entrusted to me because it is intended to be by faith. That's why I give. It's in obedience by faith. Why? Because, again, book of Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's why whether it's tithing and our resources, whether it's whatever it is, where God calls us to do something, it's always intended to be a faith-based operation. Not a logical or not a, you know, empirical, but it's based on what faith God gives to me to respond in obedience to him. I still remember, I still remember the first time Cindy and I tithe, wrote out a check for 10% of our income. It was a scary time, but that was almost 30 years ago, and we have never gone without anything, and God, as a matter of fact, God has blessed us in, in so many ways, and all that, you know, you can go on and on about that, and, and I'm not saying it's a, you know, let's make a deal kind of thing with God, I'm just, I'm just telling you, God has blessed us in so many ways, and so, I'm telling you, so now, I have, we've just learned this truth by faith, we've learned this truth that you cannot outgive God. And I'll tell you, that's true. And, and I'll tell you this too. And I, I know somebody's going to say, oh, he's bragging. He's whatever. I'm not. As God is my witness, I'm your pastor. I'm just trying to tell you what, what we do. We give more than 10%. We do. Because we know you can't outgive God. And because we're committed to this thing. We're committed to you. We're committed to the work God is doing here at Cross Culture Church. And so it's, it's a joy for us to be committed in that way. It's a joy for us to give in that way. 
So, very quickly, where are we as a church? Listen, we, we've, we've been meaning to, to give you an update on where we are, especially when we came to the end of June, we're at a halfway point for a year. And, and, and I know we don't talk a lot about the needs of cross-culture church around here. We'll talk about opportunities to give to families in need. We'll talk about mission trip opportunities. We'll talk about needs like that. But we really don't talk a lot about the needs within the body, the church, and how it operates and all that kind of stuff. And, and as a matter of fact, I know there's some of you that wish we would do that more. And can I tell you something? That's my fault that we don't do that enough. It's purely my fault. And part of the reason I know I just always have been kind of leery of the fact that I know people are leery of churches that talk a lot about money. So I know I tend to kind of skirt around it more probably than I should. Part of the reason also is that I'm always, I just get so focused on trying to help you grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus in, in, in teaching and whatever God's word is dealing with, particularly there. And I just, I just know if, if, if you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus, I'm not saying you're not, but as we become fully devoted followers of Jesus, God's money will just follow me. Meaning you, us. It just follows us. I don't have to worry about that. But, but we do have to talk about it. We do need to know where we are. Nate uh, Jones, who serves as one of our elders and is our administrator here at the church, oversees the financials with Jennifer Mason. He's going to come and just share very briefly. Thank you for being patient with us. Uh, but, but, you, but we just want you to know, here's where we are. Here's what's going on as a church uh, financially. Nate, let me give you this. This will be real brief, real quick. I am... Um... Um, as Pastor Clay said, as an administrator and one of the elders as well, and love serving in that capacity. And what I've done is prepared just a very uh, brief overview of where we are first half of this year. And I'd like to start out with the budget. If you look at uh, where we are um, for our budget for the year, we have prayerfully considered, based on your giving and the track record of what uh, Cross Culture has done, and prepared a budget to use the resources that are provided by faith and through your giving through obedience um, and by faith. Let me tell you as well, if you look at that bottom number and it looks like a large number, $275,000, that number has gone down every year since we've been here at Cross Culture. This past year, we prayerfully considered that we did not want that number to go down and we, we, we are prayerfully considering a budget for operation of this church at that same level in that number. And I, what I've done is I put numbers to the side and I put percentages over there so you could actually get a chance to see that. And very quickly, I just wanted to put that up. And so if you look at the very next slide that I've got here that I prepared is to give you a, a, a perspective as to where we are. If you look at um, total um, income that has come in um, and then expenses against that, you'll see that we're very efficiently using the monies that come in. And that's all monies. That's just looking at it from a profit-loss kind of perspective, from a business side of things. If you look at the very right side of that slide to the top, that number of 137500 represents half of 275, as if we're going to get half of that money in half of the year, and the other half of the money in the second half of the year. And that's just a straight line looking at 137500 And I have an asterisk beside the actual receipts, different than the total income because there are times that we get monies that we consider pass-through or I consider pass-through as I'm looking at it from an administrator's point. And that is the money that came in directly for the mission trip that we knew was going to, we know was going to be spent on the mission trip to Peru. We've taken that out. Also, there was a uh, one-time large gift. That's not your operational, and that's not your operational giving. So we took that one-time gift out as well. And so we look at how you're giving towards what we have prayerfully been considering would be an operational budget. It totals to be about $134,000 as of June 30th of this year, leaving us with a deficit of about $2,500 from our, our um, budget. 
So I can tell you that we're still praying for your continued and faithful giving on that. And if you look at the other numbers there, um, here's another number. Um, if you back up just for a second. The weekly amount, and we track looking at what comes in weekly. If you look at that weekly amount, that's just flat out 52 weeks into $275,000 comes out to be that number. And if you look at the 2,500, if my math is somewhat accurate and not too fuzzy, that's roughly $400 per week that we are, per month, that we are under about what we would normally have. Or about, for 26 weeks, $2,500, almost $100 per week less from where we're budgeting. And I know that this is a lot of numbers, a lot of information, um, and throwing that out there, um, but that's just where we are from the business side of things. Faithfully with your dollars, if we look at the last slide, faithfully with your dollars, here's what we do. We support each of the ministries that are here at Cross Culture. And I broke them down to the very, um, for you, it's the far left side of that screen in ministries, uh, life groups and creative arts and C2 kids, and that's what your budget kind of supports. There are other ministries here and things that we do where we don't pay staff, but we have staff in Uh, and workers here. So if you consider that very large number for personnel, not everyone who's working here gets paid. I get a very large salary, and it's been the same every year as an administrator. There it is. Um, But I serve faithfully, and I know many of you do. I wanted to um, say as well from our missions, North American missions, you hear that as Annie Armstrong sometimes. Uh, our international missions, uh, Lottie Moon, our cooperative programs. We give back to and we participate from a cooperative perspective, Southern Baptist Convention. And I put up here um, sowing seeds. And on my hard copy sheet here, um, what I have is uh, cross-culture missions. We're doing our family fun day, public safety day, our movie night. Uh, we do a number of other things that we try to reach out to the community. So those funds aren't just inside of these four walls. It's outside of here as well that we try to um, support. And then there are also other local missions and uh, opportunities that we have to sow. We've sown to emergency chaplains, to Bedrock Mission, uh, Bedrock Church. Um, and you've heard that over the years as we've gotten started. So we are all about cross-culture, and the kingdom of God. And that's where your resources go. If there's anyone who wants either a point of clarification, would want to see me afterwards, I did prepare a, um, a few sheets that I could uh, let you have um, that will, some of these numbers that are here that are recorded, and put that up there. Um, but Pastor Clay is right. We wanted to at least let you know um, where we are for half a year. And let me also say thank you. Thank you for all those who give faithfully and obedient to the word of God and sow seeds to this ministry. The first couple of years cross-culture existed, we were saving uh, 10% a year. 10% is what we were were saving. Last two years, we've had to reduce that to 5% just because of uh, the the lack of of resources to the the budget. Uh, You know, it just, we've got to do this from time to time, folks. And so I hope it answers some questions. You can see Nate about those uh, questions, but I want to echo what he says. Thank you just for being faithful. And I want to encourage you, uh, Floyd and Betty, um, would you just, I mentioned this last week, would you just uh, stand up real quick and tell the folks about an opportunity? Because if you're here and you're saying, okay, all right, I know 
if I go to him, he's going to show me all those verses that talk about tithing. I know I want to. I know I'm scared to. I don't see how my budget and my numbers can work out. Um, so it would be remiss of us to not give you opportunities. Uh, there's a class coming up that, that's based on biblically based materials on how to uh, prepare a budget, how to use your resources uh, from a biblical basis. Are you in charge of your money or is your money in charge of you? How many of you decided Friday night where you were going to eat supper by what was left in your wallet? <laughs> we all do that. Financial Peace University is a biblical-based God's Word is full of instructions as to how we're supposed to be good stewards of what he's given us. Financial Peace University is going to start September the 4th, Calvary Baptist Church on 70 Highway going in towards Durham. Uh, it's, being, it's open to anybody that wants to come. The cost is $95 a couple. That includes all the material. It is just $95 per couple. It's not each. And it's permanent membership in Financial Peace University. So you pay one time, you can go back anywhere as often as you want to, and you're already paid up. I can promise you this. Betty and I have already been there. You'll never know how far the money you make will go until you're debt-free. To get a check and know that you owe nobody nothing is the most amazing thing that will ever happen in your life. And Dave Ramsey has spent the last almost 30 years now teaching Christians how to control God's money. I'll guarantee you, and there's not many guarantees in life, it'll be the best $95 you ever spent. So you're free. See Betty and I, we are running out of time. See Betty and I for more information. Do you have anything you want to add? Uh, you said if God would give me more money, I would tithe. If you tithe, God will give you more money. I can tell you that. Your car will go better. Your washer won't run out as quick. Uh, you'll just find money. I mean, things won't break down. Things just last longer for you. I'm, I'm telling you this. I, I've been there. The other thing is I want to say, and um, we gave last year in December, I told Floyd, I said, there's some things, needs here in the church that I want to give some money for. And he said, okay. I said, so we picked three couples here and one outside the church, and we gave a donation to each one of them. By the end of December... God blessed that to our family by 500% in an inheritance that we didn't know was coming. So if you give it, he'll bless it. He can't bless it if you don't give it. Clay said something a while ago about trusting in God. To my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor, the only place in God's word that he dares us to try him is in our finances. That's right. And he says, I'll pour out a blessing that you cannot receive. Thanks. Thanks, brother. Um, listen, I, I, we're saying, all we're saying, and, and we're gone. Uh, we're not, John, no, no altar call today or not. We've kept you over, way over than we normally do. Thank you for being attentive. Uh, you're still going to get to lunch and everything, and it'll be just fine. But listen, folks, we're, we're a family. We get on each other's nerves at times. We don't always agree with each other at times, but we are blood kin, so we better figure out how to do this thing together. God lays out some instructions on how we can, we can do that because this affection that we have is based on the connection that we have. We are blood kin, and that should make a difference in our lives. Nate will be out there, and you can see him. Uh, Brother Bill Hopkins, our, our, our life group pastor, will be at the, at the life group table. Stop by. If you're not in a life group, stop by. Ask a question. See where they are. Get involved. Try a life group. Um, connect in to the body of Christ. Um, but listen, it has been 
So far in my life, it has been my honor. I have had four honors bestowed upon me in my life. One, to be called a child of God because of what Christ has done for me. Two, to be called the husband of Cindy. Three, to be called the father of J.C., Todd, and Travis. (laughs) And four, to be called your pastor. I love you. I want God's best for your life and for the life of Cross Culture Church. And I promise you, I promise you, God is just beginning to start what's going to be an amazing ride. Love. As we've heard today, God's Word is abundantly clear that we should have love for fellow believers. But as you heard Pastor Clay explain, here in America, the relationships we have within the local church often take a back seat to other relationships. Today's message is a challenge to all of us, no matter what church you attend. Involved and investing is the call for us as fully devoted followers of Jesus. Our love for Christ and recognizing the cost He paid for His church should compel us to be caring and committed to His church. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540 Exit 7, and we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.